because it's fun. Fun to do bad things. 24-7 Comedy Radio. I want to do horror stuff with my friend. Hey, this is Ricky Crawford, and you're listening to The Green Room. The Green Room is brought to you today by Amazon. Click the Amazon link on SeanTGreen.com to support The Green Room today. And now, live from Silver Lake, California, the host of The Green Room, Sean Green! All right, everyone. Welcome to the Green Room. We're doing it live here on 247comedy.com, the new host of the Green Room Comedy Podcast. I'd like to welcome on my left-hand man, Logan Lysico. Logan, how's it going, man? Bonjour, mon frere. <laughs> mon frere? Yeah, I don't know what that Okay. Means. It's all right. It's a French saying. It's all French to me. But uh, hey, Logan, I don't know. I've, uh, I've talked to you about it, but... Uh, um, yeah, now we're going to be getting distributed by 247comedy.com. Yeah. And if you don't know, well, besides having the website, 247comedy.com, you can go on there. You can get the iHeartRadio app. It's basically 24-7 of comedy, obviously. They just run stand-up continuously. You can get the iHeartRadio app. 24 oh. minutes a day, 7 seconds a minute, right? Yep, exactly. That's exactly how the mat. Say, leave the comedy to the good folks over at 24-7 Comedy, Logan. No. Besides, um, besides, uh, 247comedy.com, the website. They're also on AM50 Norfolk, Virginia, 1025 in Kansas City, 1450 Tucson, 990 in Eugene, Oregon, and 1440 in Riverside. So they've, um, you know, they've come up with this radio format of just playing stand-up comedy continuously on AM FM stations, and they, um, are, you know, going to be posting our podcast on their website there. Like to call it, it's a synergy in the business. Yeah. So, you know, more people listen to um, the green room, and uh, hopefully, some more of our listeners will check out twenty four seven comedy. Yeah, so, I, I grew up. My dad was a pilot, and whenever I rode on the airplane, I would always switch it to the radio station where they only played stand up. Now, what <laughs> so kind of stand up did they have back then? It was probably Bill Cosby. Uh, Bill Cosby. Yeah. It was always Bill Cosby. It was like uh, Abbott and Costello, that, that old routine. <laughs> that's when I that's when I first heard all that stuff, and I loved it. That's when you first knew comedy is my calling. Well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> well, this man, I, I don't know. Um, not only comedy is his calling, but a unique life is his calling. I'd like to welcome <laughs> on to the program Scott Baxter Bowser. Aw, how are you doing, Sean? And how are you, Logan? I'm pretty doing great. Doing great, man. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. I know we are live right now. Should I should I tweet this? Should I tweet an update? Well, no, actually, uh, live is just. Um, it's just an expression I like to use. I carried, it, <laughs> I carried it over from when the show was actually broadcast live. Now it's live to tape. So you can say we're yeah. broadcasting live to tape. It doesn't have quite the same ring as broadcasting live. We're live. We're, we're very live. It's right. uncensored either it's, way. It's more a way to describe the temperature in the room. It's live. It's happening. Plus, <laughs> yeah. that's the way Bill O'Reilly described it when he went on his uh, epic rant. And he, he said, we'll do it live. And, in fact, they were recording it. So I'm just following the great – broadcaster that's, Bill right. that's a good role model to have in broadcasting oh, yeah. my dad my dad loves bill o'reilly and he like non-ironically <laughs> how am i surprised at that one so he, he'll go i like bill o'reilly you know because he doesn't spin it he, 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 he does he, well he's got the no spin zone of course right exactly that's where, that's where he buys he buys into the guy's gimmick <laughs> right up front hey it's a guy with no spin why wouldn't i want a guy with no spin and i, I appreciate bill o'reilly in the in the sense that he is a broadcaster he Puts his point out of uh, as a viewpoint. He's entertaining. He's bombastic. He's he's snide. He's condescending. It's everything I try to incorporate in my comedy. But I don't agree. I don't agree. I don't agree with his opinions per se. I'd like to think of myself as a more casual Bill O'Reilly. The same smug attitude. I look down on people. I ridicule people. Sure, we do it in a different way, and we the aim is more comedy. But Bill O'Reilly just does it and tries to work in whatever his political point of view is. I do it, hopefully, just for laughs. You're like the Bill O'Reilly, I'm actually down to grill burgers and have beers with. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. But you know, I'm a Bill O'Reilly who's also a hookah enthusiast. You don't, you don't see that in the, <laughs> no. in the traditional Bill O'Reilly. He's a little buttoned up. I do enjoy wearing a suit. I feel like it makes me look good. I, I feel like that's probably another quality we have. Um, Bill O'Reilly and I, uh, we're not afraid to sell merch. I sell T-shirt. He goes a little too far with the umbrellas and all the uh, no spin zone um, 
dog mat or whatever he's got. He, he takes it a little far. I just go with the t-shirts. But <laughs> we have we have some things in common, and I'd I'd like to. I one day hopefully I can be as successful as Bill O'Reilly, and then maybe one day one of my employees can sue me for sexual harassment. We can settle out of court and not mention it all on air. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that kind of financial security. You know you've made it in this country when you just a uh, sexual harassment case comes up and you just go oh six figure. Settlement out of court, not a problem. And your wife stays with you. That is really the American dream. That really, that, that's making it right there. That's that is, you have become the ultimate hunter-gatherer, if you think about it, because <laughs> you're, you're tapping into this primal world of, I can hunt and gather literally whatever I want. Oh, hey, you're going to complain about me hunting and gathering this intern? I'll just grease your palm with a couple of bananas. Sure, we've evolved. A certain. It's the same way in that in, in the animal kingdom, I would hump your wife, and what could you do about it? I could maybe pay you off with some food throw some crap at you i could dominate you physically but i was top dog now sure we're a little more evolved we have money and such but it's essentially the same principle <laughs> today's society alpha males have podcasts exactly that's, that's we're exactly. dominating we're taking the world over one podcast listener at a time <laughs> now scott you are a uh, los angeles native correct you grew up in the los angeles area i'm from whittier originally uh yeah i live in downtown now and i grew up about 20 miles exactly from my from my mom's house yeah 20 miles from your mom's house you grew up in whittier describe uh, what was life like growing up in los angeles um well okay I got a chance to go on really cool field trips as a kid. Like, we'd go to the Hollywood Bowl and, like, see all these cool things. But for me particularly, where I grew up in Whittier, um, like, it was such an interesting neighborhood because I was below the boulevard but above the train tracks. And so it was like, a blo- like, for some people, below the boulevard was, like, the scum. Like, like right. oh. But below my, the my, train my, tracks. My friends don't want me to have friends below the boulevard. And then, like, for people above the train tracks, it's like, oh, those people – Okay, but, so but, above the train tracks, that's the rich group. Below, no, the, below the above the boulevard was definitely the rich group. The, okay. the rich group, and then like between the boulevard and the train tracks was like the. Uh, like so the, by what are your standards? You were middle class. Yeah, very, very like, about as middle class as you could possibly be. All right, like, median income family. Very, very, right, you are the medium. That, that's like, where they defined it. Like they, I mean, they put it right at us. Yeah. So if you're doing better than uh, Bowser, you're you're upper class. You're if you're doing worse, you're lower class. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's a that's a nice divining rod to have. Okay, so you grew up in Whittier, typical middle class growing up. Total. Yeah, my mom was a school teacher. My dad worked for the LA County Department of Waste and Sanitation. Like total. Like now, what did he do in the uh, waste and sanitation? What kind of gig? Well, like when he first described it to me, when I was like, "Hey, Dad, what do you do?" Like I don't understand what your job is. I know mom teaches. What do you do? It's like uh, every time someone takes a shit and flushes it down the toilet, <laughs> it goes to my plant, and we clean it up and turn it into clean water. And there you that, go. That's basically it. That sounds like a nice. I mean, that sounds like a real job. Yeah. When you go there, yeah. when you go there, this is this is one of those jobs. When you come back, the wife doesn't give you crap because she realizes you dealing it with it all day. Like, yeah, all right, literally. I realize you, you, you had you were up to your nose and shit all day. I'm not gonna bust your chops. I remember I watched a David Tell Insomniac show where he toured one of those plants. And he pointed to a life preserver that they had hanging up, and he's like, "Shouldn't that just be a shotgun? Because if you fall over, just it's uh, you don't you don't necessarily want to be rescued. You don't want to have that lifesaver coming your way and have to deal with the aftershock." No, I'm the oldest of three kids, though. Right. And my dad was the uh, like the president of the little league that me and my brother played in, and he was also like a scout master of the the Cub Scout troop we came up in. Uh, so you were a Cub wow. Scout. Yeah, I was a Cub Scout and a Boy wow. Scout. Yeah. You don't you don't seem the Cub Scout types. No, I uh, I left around. I I made the choice of basketball over scouts when I was about twelve, thirteen. And I was like, yeah, hanging out with a bunch of weird kids, going on camping trips, <laughs> like with a bunch of dudes all the time, just really isn't for me. I'll at least play basketball, I'll be around a bunch of dudes. With the possibility of chicks coming to our game. Right, right. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's the, as soon as you start getting boners, then you see through the Cub Scout facade. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah this is I got other stuff to take care of. But it's weird. I like all the stuff the Cub Scouts do, but you hit a point where you're like, ah, the Scouts aren't for me anymore. It's like I went rock climbing once. I don't need to do this again. Yeah. And that was, that was cool this one time. But, like, I have to hang out with dudes all the time just to go rock climbing once a once every February. Right. Like, this is a cool hey, don't get me wrong. I still hang out with dudes and go camping and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. But I don't need to wear the outfit and be organized yeah. in that sense. Soapbox Derby. 
I, I did it once. I, it was okay. I did the cakewalk. I won a couple cakes. Felt good about that. I felt like I went out on top. Now, did you do any any of the traditional scout stuff? You did the yeah. soapbox derby. I, you know, some of my early performing was actually doing like skits. Really? Because, yeah, and skit, like skits are like the lowest form of comedy. Like <laughs> it's, it's below improv, you know. Like, yeah, like improv groups frown it's, down it's upon weird. skit yeah. groups. It, like, it, it, all these terms are kind of interchangeable, but skits I feel like are just really, really kind of fruity. Sketch at least. Okay, there's a rehearsal. Like someone thought about it. Yeah, there's a premise. Skit is just. Ah, it's something you do in your mom's living room. It yeah. just seems very light in the loafers. It's skits. right above mine in yeah, the showbiz yeah, ladder. Like, okay, so now what's what's a typical Scott Bowser skit in the Cub Scouts? Do you remember any of those? Uh, I did one, or um, I, I guess this is horrible for audio, but we're like, we'd had one guy like take his arms and put it into his shirt and put his hands under with his shoes on it, so it looked like the feet were below, and then cover his legs with blankets, so it looked like he was like kind of sitting on like a pedestal, right? And then uh, a guy would sit behind him and put his arms through the other guy's shirt holes. And do the arms. So it would be wacky arms. Right. Well, hey, I'm just going to talk about something. But I don't know what these arms are going to do. And, <laughs> and all the parents thought it was cute. And and was, oh, we, I, I remember killing with it one time. We're like, we totally right. improvised the whole thing. We crushed. And, and then, we yeah. crushed. <laughs> I mean, Is that what you said at the time? Yeah, I was like, oh, that, that, that would crushed. be like, good set, guys. We crushed. That would be smoking cigarettes around the corner. Like that would be awesome, guys. though, if you didn't crush. Just in the idea that their 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 parents in the audience holding out going, I've seen this. This is hack. <laughs> uh, checking their cell phones. Yeah, you. Oh man, getting what, the tomato what's out. Funny, what's funny about like growing up in scouts? Because like when I was a boy scout and not a cub scout anymore. I was, like, one of the volunteer Boy Scouts at Cub Scout camp one time, like, where I was, like, <laughs> I, I assisted, like, the den mom in charge. And it's funny. When you said that, you immediately – your eyebrows jumped up. You kind of did the jazz <laughs> hands. Is that, is, that's your impression of a volunteer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at these guys All offering their time to help others. Oh, Volunteers man. perform like John Belushi. That's how yeah, it happens. Exactly. No, but, like, I would I, – I would like, help out with these kids. Like I would help out like these kids that are like basically like three years younger than me, two years younger than me. So it's like really not a big gap at all. But we would like we would have to pick the skit that we're gonna do for the big presentation. And it's like I heard uh I heard Den uh, fourteen over there already took the Viper sketch. Oh, we're done. So wait, oh, what do you mean? There's like a hand, there's like twenty sketches in the entire like like skits in the entire skit playbook. Oh, and like okay. you better get you better like call dibs on one of the good ones right away. Wait, one was called Viper though. That one was, was the called the Viper, and it was. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Okay. Oh, so uh, Logan and I are in the troop. Oh, hey Logan, I brought over a brand new uh, backpack. Do you want to check out my new scout bag? Sure. Oh my God! There's a viper! In it. <laughs> like what's no, what was the, the viper? The, skit? the viper skit was a uh, the viper is coming. The viper is coming. And like a kid would like freak out, and then like another kid would around be like, "The viper is coming! The viper is coming!" And they'd freak out, and then they they didn't use the rule of threes here because they'd go, "The viper is coming again!" And the viper wouldn't come out. That's right. like when when it should hit. And but then like when the viper finally comes out. Um, it's like a guy like and like I've seen it done two ways. Where it's supposed to be just a guy with like a Kleenex, like like Kleenex and like a Windex bottle. And he's like it's like a, a campy like Jewish German accent. He's like, Hi, I am the Viper. Oh, I am I here to wipe your windows. I remember that joke. Okay. okay. But like I saw it once where they took like this this uh scout camp I was at where they took like the hardcore Tourette syndrome kid that would like eat a sandwich through his plastic bag every day and like freak everybody out. What the hell? But they, they got him and they took a brown marker and just like skidded up a bunch of toilet paper and he came out and went, the viper is coming. The vi- <laughs> oh, I, nice. I am here to vipe your asshole. I don't think they said asshole. But it was right. Like, exactly. That, that They're they're peeling off a merit badge if you start <laughs> yeah, dropping, like, dropping some A-bombs at the scout meeting. can't blue at scout camp. Like, they don't let that happen. That's the one thing you learned. But they, they did Along the line, it sounds like. Oh no! They, like there's some double entendre. <laughs> double entendre. That's the you know that's the principle of a uh, good uh, scout camp skip. Okay, so you're in the scouts. That's not your thing. No. Now you you start getting involved in sports. What kind of sports did you play growing up? I played baseball, and I was I might hold the record for the lowest batting average in the history of Whittier Pony baseball. Like I, my Ooh. career average there might be like maybe like point. Oh nine, like, like point nine. I don't know. What would you be like a? 
Like an 091, maybe? 091. So like well probably, below, I'm, I'm like below 100, probably. Well below the Mendoza line. Like, what, like yeah, like Mendoza. I, I am envious of the Mendoza line. I think I it was re- 251 year, though. Kind of felt good. Like. I remember <laughs> I remember when I was uh, in Little League, obviously also very awful like yourself. And it got to the point where me and my buddy would start counting hits as any time we made contact with <laughs> yeah. the ball. So, oh, man, I got, I, got four, I got four hits out at bat. Really? I got really, one year. I got really good at leaning into pitches and, and taking the base. Like, I, like I learned how to work the count. Like, I, cause I was like, well, I'm not gonna hit it if I swing. Yeah. So this kid's like probably a little wild. If I just go up here, chances are he's gonna throw four balls before he throws three strikes right down right. the middle. Right. I had I had two philosophies when I went up to bat in little league. It was either a swing at everything and just go down <laughs> swinging and hey, what you, what can you do? I tried, coach, laid it on the line, or just go up there and not even think of swinging yeah. and just hope I got walked. Good eye, good eye. Yes, my good eye is making me terrified of the ball and of the pitcher. The one year I was on like the first place team that like won it all in our league and everything, I, I we had two like crucially close games the entire season, and I was involved in the key play both times to help us win the game. So I was like, <laughs> I was the worst player on the team like all season, and then in this huge like game where we might like lose the pennant if we don't win this one game, a ball gets hit to me in right field, of course, because that's right. where you always stick the yep. worst kid. But, like, we were playing on, like, an adult-sized diamond where it was all dirt up until me. So this ball's just skipping across the dirt. And I go to get in front of it, and it bounced off my knee. The second baseman grabbed it and threw a guy out at the plate. So I got an assist on the play. (laughs) (laughs) That will help help win us the championship. And then we were in the postseason tournament, and I had, like, like a – like a measly grounder to the third baseman that drove in the game-winning run. Wow. And, like, and there you go, So, like, Scott. the two, like, close games that we had that we needed to win it, uh, I delivered both Bowser, those times. So. Yeah, Bowser came through. So, I, got, I could be the worst guy all season long, but when you need me in the clutch, I'm there. Mr. Uh, Mr. Reliable. I like that, Scott. Coming through in the clutch. Are you trying I, to get on our green room softball team? Or? <laughs> you know, if you guys I, need a horrible right fielder, <laughs> I am totally down. No, that's probably all we can cast out of people that have been on the show is just awful right fielders. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm not a bad third baseman or first base, but I can play the corner infield spots. If, if you have a good shortstop that will throw it, like, right to me every time, I'll, yeah. be, I'll be all right. I remember in um, peewee football, fifth grade, I played the H-back position. I caught a touchdown pass the opening opening weekend, caught a touchdown pass. That was, like, really my highlight of my peewee football career. And then basically the whole offense kind of keyed on me. So if I would motion right, the play was going right, and I'd be a blocker. Or occasionally they would hand it off to me going up the one gap. And, you know, teams figured it out pretty early on because, you know, yeah. we didn't have Bill Belichick. It was uh, <laughs> some guy chewing tobacco and talking about how he beat up rattlesnakes. Our coach would come oh and, and just say that he would have these cowboy boots and he was stomping around and said that he would catch rattlesnakes and then whip them against trees and then cook up the guts. Like, oh, my God, he's so crazy. <laughs> in hindsight, they didn't even – our coaches then didn't even have kids on the team. So, like, in hindsight, that's they were just angry guys who wanted to teach football. But it, it was cool. I enjoyed myself, but I remember we had tied up the game, and we were going for two on the two-yard line. It was going for two for the win, and I said to the coach in the huddle when he was drawing up the play, I was like, I want the rock, and he's like, all right. you know, he's like taking back by my confidence. He's like, all right, you're getting it, Green, and of course, I run right up the one hole. There's just a huge pile. I just throw my body onto it. Nowhere close to getting into the goal line, and I didn't really get a lot of carries after that, so I was kind of bummed up. But it was all right. I, I moved on, found different things besides sports. See, I thought I was going to be a good basketball player, and I was always you're, short. You're a tall well, guy. Well, no, but I was short before. And then, like, when I got tall, then they really wanted me to play basketball. But I was, like, I was like 5'6", five, 5'8", five, until I was, like, 16. And then all of a sudden, I hit this crazy growth spurt where I went up to 6'2", out of nowhere. And like, like, it, it how old were you when you hit the growth spurt? Like, around 15, 16. Like, I started my freshman, my sophomore year of high school. I was about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, maybe 135 pounds. And by the end of the school year, I was like six two one seventy. Like I, it was just like wow. a crazy. So now, now, how was high school for you? What kind of uh, if you had to pick a oh, click, God. what what did you kind of fit into? Um, no, I I hung out with everybody really. Like I like I was friends with like a lot of like the hip hop kids and like really? the, like the techno like raver scene. I would hang out with those guys. I was I mostly hung around with like the slacker stoner like punk rock types. But like yeah. I played water polo. 
So I was friends with like the water polo team, and I had a lot of friends on the basketball team. I was on ASB cabinet my junior year, actually. What, what's that? I was the activities rep, and I was the worst activities <laughs> rep ever. Like, oh. like that was the one year like the lip sync competition never went down. Like all the activities, <laughs> you, that couldn't, were, you couldn't coordinate a lip syncing competition. All, all the fundamental being like, oh Bowser, uh, are you ready to plan this event? Like, uh, uh-huh, yeah, dude, like, like that. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I, you guys are going to rip on me so hard for this right now, but I was actually a male cheerleader. Whoa! Oh, <laughs> Holy crap! I, I, I lettered varsity in cheer. Um, <laughs> oh, man, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Because, Scott, you see... You, you're just right now. You have the appearance that, like, if I didn't know you, <laughs> if I didn't know you, I'd be not scared of we you. Would, but I, I would, would just, cross the street if I saw you on the street. Uh, I'd just be like, I would just take a look at Scott and think, uh, he's up to no good. And you know, I'm just like, ah, that guy. I don't know. That's where I get my pep. Like, I, right? No, I mean, you're an interesting character, like, but I don't picture you as a sideline. Okay, and like, give it. No, I wasn't on the sidelines ever. Let me tell you that right now. What, you couldn't make it out to the I, sidelines. I never had to. Like, I was just like on the. Con- Competition team where they would do like like the like the like the what you call what's that movie the cheer movie Bring It On oh like, like you don't know I was Scott. like I was I was like, like I was on the competition team dude like, competition I would, team I would basically right. throw right. the girls around and do some oh, horrible dude, I know what cheerleaders I know I've seen male cheerleaders did you do that did right. you do that yeah. typical uh, excuse uh, that everyone uh, goes. Oh, well, you know, you do get to look up the girl's uh, skirt. Yeah, okay. So it's Dude, I get to watch him change. So what? I get to hang out with I chicks always, all that day? That works on me, though. I always make, that makes me for a second think it's cool. Hey, it's it being a male cheerleader. Of course Logan would be, like, jealous of male cheerleaders. <laughs> like. yeah. now, so now, come on. It, how did you get into male cheerleading? Um, here's what happened. My water polo buddy that I rode with was my ride to school every morning. Yeah. Um, we, had early you water, shower we, we had early water polo practice before school every day. And then when water polo season ended, he saw it. He's like, I can't take anymore because I got to go early for cheer. So I was like, oh, cool. Just pick me up. And then I'll just hang out and read a book or whatever. And I would seriously be sitting there, like, reading, like, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Like, this, like, grim little 15-year-old. And then they finally were like, hey, do you think you could fit in over here? Like, like just fill in for this one spot. And then they liked me. And then they, they, kept, they, kept, they kept going. And I'm like, imagine a, cheer- like, imagine a cheerleader that I, sees Scott, like, Man, that guy's got something in him. Like, you know, this is kind of like the blind side. Like, they yeah, take Scott off the street. That's like a movie. Like, he was a goth oh, kid, God, always yeah. depressed, <laughs> reading dark I was, books. I was a slacker stoner hanging out with the water polo team and, and some punk rock kids. Next thing I know, someone believed in me. And I think my mom may have thrown it away, but I want to say my old cheer uniform. That should be hanging Oh, God. I mean, as a comedian, you should have that hanging I should. I mean, I should honestly do a photo. So now, t- when now. you watch those like Will Ferrell skits on SNL, you you were sitting back and you'd be like, "Oh, that's totally bullshit." I was, I was like, not- "Oh man, that's like, dude, like, there's no technique there, bro. Like, you don't you get your that. angle straight, man. <laughs> like, like, straighten that forearm. Come on, buddy. Like, you- now what?" In a typical, I mean, I practiced in football because I'm a real man. But now, in <laughs> I played water polo too. Sure, sure. In cheerleading. What what happens? Like, does a coach get mad at you? Do you have to do wind sprints? And how does a coach get angry at you in a in a cheer practice? A cheer, they they kind of it's it's like a dance practice, but like we, <laughs> okay, but another thing but I'm not throwing familiar with twenty thirty feet in the air, and some of them occasionally we we kind of don't get it right, and they break their arms. Now, yeah, so, you you describe yourself as a slacker stoner. I feel like uh, that's kind of an accurate description at times. Yeah. Now, is there were you involved in any accidents on the cheer team? No. Uh, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, I was there once where a chick fell. Um, she was a fucking trooper though, and like got up and just handled the next one. Like nothing. really? Yeah, yeah. Like I. Now what I, happened? You threw her up and dropped her. We or? threw her up, and the she kind of went off to the side, and we were like weren't quite under. You know, like we all kind of had to like. It was like a cartoon where every, like they throw something up and they all have to like shift over and then, you kind of missed her coming down. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Did you completely miss her? Or did Not you completely. Catch her? No, no. Okay, so now when you go to states and you fight the other cheerleading, t- did you have cheer rivals? How did you guys do in competitions? Uh, I guess we did okay. We we made we went to nationals. Wow. <laughs> you guess yeah. I guess you did do okay. So take us through behind the scenes. You're at nationals. Okay, you're backstage. Off, actually, nationals was closer on. to us than regionals because regionals was like in South Orange County, like way down, like like Rancho Santa Margarita. Nationals was just at Anaheim, and I'm from Whittier, so that was like eight miles away. So like going, to, wow. it was but. 
it's basically hang, like picture like this, like being like a 16, 17 year old dude, and then <laughs> getting a chance to like hang at a hotel filled with hot young trim for an entire weekend, and there was like a dance party there. Thing is, I was horrible with women at that time, and so like, right. I, I was just like. I got a bag of pot. I might go. I'll, I'll go smoke a joint somewhere. Then, oh well, Michael Jordan made a comeback today. He's <laughs> he's not playing baseball anymore. Oh my God! I'm gonna sit around and watch ESPN all night while I'm high. So like, I wasn't the most fun person for that. I think I wore a Dennis Rodman shirt, jersey to the the dance party and freaked everyone else out at the really. Party. They're not they're not fans of the worm. Do they you weren't do the worm fans. at the dance party wearing the worm the, jersey. I couldn't do the worm. Yeah. If I was that horrible at baseball, there's no way I have the athletic ability to do the worm. So any any scholarship <laughs> potential, any any coaches come no. scouting you out, show them some game film. They go, no. hey, you get those SAT scores up, you can you can cheer at D three. Well, they kept telling me like that you could you could do you could do cheer in college. You know, you get a scholarship for that. <laughs> it's like, well, like I'd rather cut my dick off and get a tranny scholarship. Like that, that seems like a better use of my time. Oh, like, come on, don't knock it, Scott. I mean, you were a cheer. It was fun. How many years did you do it? I did it my sophomore and junior year, and then I stopped doing my senior year because I had a lot going on that year. It was like my dad died that year, and it was oh, like okay. I don't want to ruin the show. But it was like my dad died that year, and I yeah, way to ruin the show by letting your dad <laughs> pass away years ago, Scott. <laughs> and then, but then I started like I played water polo, and then I started I got into doing uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu for a little while, like way before it was cool. Right, <laughs> and, or before douchey, I should say. So you did you did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu before, and then cool. I, oh, you I did got, male cheerleading before. It's I started cool. doing I started doing a lot more theater because I was in advanced theater that year, my senior year. Because I had done theater my sophomore year of high school and done the musical that year, and then my senior year I, I got really into doing the the theater stuff. And I got to do like two showcases at Paramount because of that, and I oh, really? totally pissed them away at the age of seventeen and eighteen. Like, well. And I actually talked about it earlier on a documentary I shot where it was about drug use and show business. And okay. my second industry showcase was at Paramount Studios when I was 18. It was the day after the first time I did acid. And I was just burned out on acid doing this Shakespeare bit. And if you watch the tape, it, <laughs> it doesn't look that I'd love bad. To see it. It my sister has the tape somewhere. I got to get her to send it to me. But yeah, it's like That's it's awesome. like me burning out off my first acid trip, like doing like r- playing Romeo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Romeo, wherefore thou Romeo? But where are any of us, man? <laughs> Is that kind of how it went? Yeah, it, it was. It was. It wasn't that bad. Like if you watch the tape, you wouldn't be able to tell. Like okay. I, I had I'd been doing the scene for like two months straight. So, like I pretty much had it down. Now like, you said you were you were recently filming something a documentary about the drugs and stand up comedy. Yeah, you were telling a story that you had recently told <laughs> at a uh, a stand up show that I was at. How'd that go down? Um, share the anecdote that you shared on okay. the documentary because I thought it was fascinating. It was my twenty first birthday party in Las Vegas, and my friends and I like just brought it like. An insane amount of cocaine out for it. Like, that's the best way I could... I guess that, <laughs> typical male cheerleader. That, that, yeah, you know, I'm the typical male cheerleader, and it brings a huge amount of blow to his 21st birthday party in Vegas. Um, Wait, was it in Vegas? I thought it was in Reno. No, was, this was in Vegas. Okay. Um, and I, I just did so much for, like... I'm sitting at the blackjack table playing blackjack, and it just started falling out of my face. <laughs> like, just clumps and piles of it start falling out of my nose, just wow. right onto the green felt on the table. And normally that would be a blow it at a blackjack table. Like the dealer would be like, are you kidding me? You're just not allowed to sit here and have fucking flakes fall out of your face. What happened was uh, the, the diversion I got, I swear God was on. I don't, I'm an atheist pretty much, but like God was definitely looking down on me in this one moment. <laughs> right. Because Kevin Costner and Kurt Russell came w- walking by dressed as Elvis impersonators because they were shooting 3,000 miles to Graceland there. Oh, wow. And, like, the whole place stopped, looked at them, and I just picked my beer up and, like, held it over, like, like put it on top of the coke pile that had come out of my nose and, like, kind of waited a minute, like, looked around, put my finger under it, like, gave myself a quick gummer, and then, like, kept, like, oh, and, then kept, and, like, lost another 200 bucks or whatever, like, yeah. Wow. So you were it didn't it didn't help your gambling being high on cocaine. Help my gambling at didn't all. help you make rational decisions about I, gambling. Um, I've gone on great gambling streaks when I'm not high on cocaine, and then I'll be like, oh man, let's go back to the hotel room and do, go, go do some. Hey, I'm up. Let's go do some blow. And then I usually proceed to piss it all away. But usually I don't piss it all away like losing too much gambling. 
I just start throwing out these elaborate tips to everyone yeah. at the craps tables. And yeah, like, it's I a- do that, and I'm, I'm my my. Uh, my, I remember my mom and my dad were playing blackjack somewhere together. Something she saw my dad tip a cocktail waitress twenty five dollars, and she's like, "Tom, it's like, what? I'm helping the service industry. Come on, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that's how you feel like a baller. Like you throw the tips, and they really react because." You know, you tip someone at a diner an extra 25%, you're already out the door. It doesn't make a difference. If you're sitting there waiting to get drinks, it makes a huge difference, especially if you just tip her like five, ten bucks to begin with and go keep them coming. They'll keep them coming to the point I've – I was at the sports book. Sorry to suck up your story here, Scott, real quick. I was at a sports book, and I was – it was in the morning watching, you know, football games. The Eagles were losing. I was getting hammered. And I was – to the point where, like, I was breaking glasses. I was like <laughs> – I passed out a couple times. And then I would just wake up and order another drink. And then I kept going up and gambling. And they just – like, people from the casino came over and, like, talked to my friends. They're like, is he all right? And they're like, I don't know. And then they saw me place another bet. And they're like, yeah, I guess he's Dude, fine. Dude, he's on a roll, man. Let's let him go. No, I – uh like – Here's the thing, like I went on a craps, like a coked out craps binge with my friend one time, where I was. It was a March Madness weekend, where on the first two days I hit 28 out of the first 32 games. Wow! And, and hit like all four of my parlays, and so I was just like bathing in casino money, just yeah. going like, oh, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And so my friend and I just we got belligerently coked out and did a 16 hour straight run at a craps table. Where it got like there were so many dealer changes and everything during it, we were breaking so many rules. But we had been tipping like all the dealers, boxmen, everybody involved. Like we were tipping them all twenties and even fifties all night to the point where like the the pit boss would come over every shift change and be like, "Hey, these guys have a different set of rules at this table <laughs> than the rest of the people here." These guys are and, and, and like that one. Like I figured out the pippest move you can do at a craps table is. You, you tip like the dealers and the, you tip the cocktail waitress fat, of course, because you want to get shit faced. Right. You tip the dealers fat so you can get away with a little more. But then you tip the guy. If a guy goes on a hot roll and makes you money, tip the shooter. And really? It's so pip because like, like gamblers are so usually tight with their fucking chips. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. Where it's like you throw a couple chips and say, hey, that's for him. And they're like, hey, dude, that's 50 bucks from that guy. He just, like, it's like if I just won 500 bucks on a guy on a hot streak, it's like I'll throw him 50 bucks. It's like, weird. I don't believe like, in, yeah. I don't believe in regular karma as far as the universe is concerned, but I do believe in gambling. Gambling karma, karma definitely <laughs> exists. Definitely exists. I don't know how to work it all the time, but it definitely exists. Like if you get a blackjack and you don't tip the dealer, that is bad gambling karma. Oh, here's an example of like a uh, birthday trip I went on to Laughlin with my brother where we were betting basketball. It was the same trip, actually. And we're betting basketball games the whole the first day. But on the, our way out there, it was like we left like Whittier like at 4 a.m. so we can make it by opening tip-off from the first day of March Madness. And the whole time we were like, this is the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. If the cops <laughs> try and pull us over, we will go on a two-state like fucking high-speed chase just to get our bets in. <laughs> yeah. like, we are this committed to gambling on this on this tournament. And we had really done our homework for it and everything. But then we get there, and we like, had the Mission of God theme the whole like trip over there. And then late that first afternoon, there was a long shot horse running at Santa Anita. Because I, I like to like play the games and pay attention to my games. But any race going at Santa Anita, I'll usually keep a horse going. Like, every yeah, hour yeah, or yeah, so. yeah, right. And so like, I look over, and I see a horse named Jake and Elwood was running, and it was a long shot. And I'm like, oh, I'm loading up on it. Oh, and exactly. I, and, and of course, it hits, and it blows away the field down the stretch. And this guy who clearly had a lot of money on the favorite in that and lost a lot had to watch my brother and I stand up down the final stretch go dun 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 he's probably never watched that Blues Brothers movie curse you Belushi he really really didn't like us at that point now you kind of grazed over it but you said your 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 father passed away when you were in high school yeah a week before my senior year high school started okay now how as far as I mean obviously emotionally that's going to be a huge loss but did you think that kind of changed your overall perspective? Like, okay, I had this one life planned, but then losing my dad gave me a certain perspective. Did that kind of change your path, I, I feel like? I think so. I definitely think so because he was really the one in my family that encouraged me as a reformer more than anyone. Like, he really enjoyed going to see me, like, in the high school musical and stuff like that. Like, he was really, really supportive. Like, if I had a character that I had a sketch thing, a skit thing I had yeah. to do for, like, a class – and he would, like, go over. I remember I had to do FDR for a class bit one time. And, like, I was like, let's get a wheelchair. And he's like, yeah, get a cigarette and a cigarette holder. And be, like, fucking edgy about <laughs> nice. it. You know, he was, he was always, like, really supportive of, like, my kind of humor. And so, like, when he died, I kind of felt like, 
I took on a much darker tone. It was just like, well, the only person that gave about this shit is gone now. So I'm just going to fucking, you know, just punish it. Like, right. everyone else has to suffer because of it. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, the thing about it was, was I felt worse for my brother and sister because I'm the oldest. And my brother's only 13 and my sister was 11. Right. So they so didn't I get felt like, like, much. Well, yeah. And I'm like, well, he got to teach me how to shave. He got to teach me how to drive stick shift. He got to do, like, the cool right. things that a dad does with his son where, like, they, they didn't get that with them. So, like, I always kind of, like, harbored that. And like, felt, Did you feel guilty about that? I felt like I felt like, like I didn't deserve everything. And like, of course, my brother and sister are both college graduates. I'm not. Like, they're way more successful <laughs> than I am. Like, but I mean, I, I really feel like you know, I kind of really. My, my grandma always says like, "Well, Scott was the most affected by it." Like, obviously, but yeah. I don't know, like, one thing it did was it gave me access to way more pot because I inherited his car, and I was able to drive to the local tire shop in Whittier that sold weed out the side. <laughs> so and there was a certain practical aspect there, to your I mean, father passing away, Yeah, too. I mean, uh, I got a blowjob on his first birthday. My first blowjob <laughs> was on the, his birthday after he, the first birthday he had after he died. It would have been his 45th birthday. I got my first blowjob, and I was like, Dad had to have something to do with that one. Like, <laughs> God's only in intervened a couple times once so you didn't get busted for coke in las vegas, vegas and, and then, two to get a, a blowjob to get a bad blowjob one of the <laughs> kind of more like i've done a lot of jokes but one of the few times i actually felt bad about doing a joke was a guy in our high school troy his father passed away in high school and i was drunk at a party and he was trying to talk to this chick and i was just i was just drunk and i was honestly <laughs> I, I, you know I just I mean? love where this is going. Yeah. I could see it in my life. I honestly was good intentioned, but you know when you're drunk like that and you're young, you don't, you know, you don't really draw any lines of what's appropriate, what's not. And I go up to the girl. I was like, "Come on, you gotta blow Troy. His dad's dead." <laughs> oh, oh my <laughs> that, god! No, that and I and like I was like I took a, a second back. Like what? What? Yeah. What I say? <laughs> the the like the day of my dad's funeral, like, I got. House to my friend's house after, and I was just completely belligerent. Yeah, and he's like over there in the corner, like the sluttiest chick we knew, going, Come on, like, seriously, <laughs> you should fuck Bowser tonight. Like, look, look, look at him, look wow. what he's going through right now. Like, well, but I mean, drinking, sex, stuff like that, it's it, it kind of just taps into this primal thing of like, Okay, I feel I'm feeling something I'm, other yeah. than this intense grief, and yeah. it, it makes sense that why people own oh, an Irish wake. They're drinking. They're they're tailgating the funeral or whatever, whatever whatever your family does. But you you know you're you're kind of just trying to cope with this loss. You want to feel something besides this overwhelming grief. Uh, I had a like about three years after my dad died, one of my best friends died in a dirt bike accident, and like that, really? and that was like for me and my whole group of friends it was like really traumatizing for us. But to me, like, and I'm going to sound like such a prick about this, but. Uh, for me, the worst thing about it was he was a big, insane clown posse fan. Uh-huh. And basically, all my friends, like, out of tribute to him, kind of oh, became no. juggalos for a while oh. after. <laughs> and, it was just, and it was like, I was like, I love him, but I'm not going there. Right. Like, I refuse <laughs> to do that. Right. That's, that is the thing. Like, if you die at 15, 16, people will remember you by your taste. By your taste. you're into. Yeah. you're into that. And I, I was into Kenneth. I was into cool shit at that age, but I was also into some very lame shit. Exactly. So, like, yeah. if you would have passed away at age 17, people could have been really into male cheerleading. Like, this is the way Scott would have wanted it. If I, if I, I would have died at 12, people would have been like, it would have been like a CNC Music Factory themed <laughs> funeral. And, like, you know, like, Scott really loved CNC Music Factory and another bad creation. And. And all this horrible stuff out there. Yeah. Well, I, I do a bit about that in my stand-up or, or something similar that, especially in high school or in college, when you're partying with your buddies, you always have that line of uh, – or someone will go up like, man, when I die, I, you know, I want you to plan the funeral. But I don't want it to be sad, man. I want it to be happy. Yeah, I want it to fun, be a dude. party funeral. Yeah. I want it to be a celebration of my life. And then the reality is if – okay, let's say he bit it in a dirt biking accident. You're not going to go, okay, guys, uh, hey, um, I know you're uh, – excuse me, miss. Could you just please stop crying? I want to know where we got to set up the ice leech. This is the way Devin would have wanted it. Like you're never going to actually well, pitch that my, to the family. My brother and I made a death pact with each other. My brother and I are extremely, <laughs> extremely close. But we made a deal with each other. The first one to die – pretty much every my family gets cremated. But we're like, okay, first one of us to die, we're going to have an open casket funeral. And we're going to make – the other one's got to give the eulogy and make them as heartwarming, like just sweetest, sincere eulogy possible. 
but then throw in one like really well timed horrible insult in there, <laughs> and right then have a spring loaded like this corpse spring loaded in the casket so that he steps on the trigger when he does that and then the other one rises out of the coffin and like looks over <laughs> at him like you're saying this about me at this time and i see I, now that's a that's a perfect example that sounds hilarious and of course you guys both agree to it but in all honesty do you think if your brother passed away would you be able to pull it off no i'd be yeah, i'd be no, way that, too great i'd be i'd, right, I'd be like be i'd be too like, i'd be like way too bummed out you could be like loading the spring in the coffin well you'd like, have to build that contraption like right, we were, there's a lot of reasons that wouldn't happen. <laughs> like, my brother and i were actually just recently talking about how Dude, it sucks that Dad got cremated because it would have been cool if we had like a couple of days of weekend at Bernie style fun with him. <laughs> like we could have made that. We could have we could have gotten away with some shit. It would have been fun. Well, supposedly, and now he claims he was joking, but Keith Richards says his dad was cremated. He he, uh, he mixed it up with some coke and did a line. But who knows? I mean, I, Keith Richards. That's got to be true. That's yeah, got to be true. He admittedly says, or he had this. Um, I was listening to Mark Maron's podcast. Which this podcast is much better, but um, <laughs> I no I'm not even kidding. But uh, I like talking shit on other podcasts. Oh, That's going to oh, be my okay. new thing is just shitting on other podcasts. Mark Marin, oh, I'm a sad little guy with cats in a garage. Who cares, Mark Marin, right? <laughs> um, if he's if he wants to come on the show, I'll be happy man. to have him on <laughs> and kiss his ass. Dude, his, whole, his whole thing is just like, and I'm not happy, and I hate myself because I eat jalapenos, and they give me a stomachache, and I keep eating them. I hate myself. It's like, all right, dude, everyone who's a performer hates themselves. Come on. That's why we Take it another, <laughs> take it another angle. All right. Anyway, my, that little diatribe aside, where was I going? I don't know. I was shitting on Mark Maron. That was the important thing. Well, I'll say this: like after my dad died, I'll say this: where it desensitized me to death is so much, where it's been almost impossible for me to like get like really bummed out about any other death. So like celebrity deaths, especially, I'll just shit on him like immediately right. within. But uh, like when my my when my dad's dad died, when my grandpa died, it was like. It was kind of funny, actually, to me. Okay. Because I found out 22 days after he actually died. and That's a knee slapper. And it was just like, it was just like, oh, God, like, I've really become such a horrible person where I'm 22 days out of the loop on my own grandpa's death. Now, like, why, why do you think that yeah, was? How does that happen? Is, uh, uh, well, fractured? Uh, my dad had kind of severed his relationship with his parents before he died. So after he died, I basically had seen them at his funeral and like a couple family events after. But I never, I like I was really close with my cousin on that side growing up, and we uh, kind of like yeah because of our parents and differences or whatever. Like I got kind of separated with them, and like I never like I had this amazing like best friend as a as a kid, and then like yeah because our parents were didn't just get along or whatever because he didn't grow up that far. We he was in Florida and I was in Whittier. We were really close to each other, but yeah. Like, it just, everything kind of drifted apart, like... Now, so do you think you're an actually a dark person? Because you do some stuff on stage that I think <laughs> is intentionally dark, and you kind of, you, you enjoy shocking the crowd, I think, at times, or kind of pushing their buttons and playing with them. Yeah, definitely, sense. definitely. But do you, do you actually consider yourself a dark person? Because hanging out with you, you seem super kind of outgoing, friendly, like, really optimistic in a sense. Where do you Smiling. think you actually yeah, fall? Yeah, uh... No, I, I I know that's a tough question to answer, but you seem you seem very lighthearted. Um, you seem I, like I, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. Like I really right. just kind of go with the flow. I really don't give a shit, but I do kind of see the world through a dark lens. Okay. So it's like I feel optimistic about myself and all that, but when I look at everything else, I'm like, oh man, this place is fucked like right like, like, let's take a shit on that like, yeah well no it's just because i've heard you describe situations or stuff that's kind of a bummer or this or that but you're like yeah but you know whatever like you don't seem to be i'll say this i've been much better over the last year because i like about two years ago i really was in a bad place and like i was living in this horrible tiny echo park apartment where i had to share a bathroom with like three other dudes and yeah like, this guy would like like the other guy, the third guy, would leave, leave uh, like shit floaters in the toilet, and then oh, the God. first guy would write these passive aggressive notes, but he didn't speak very good English. Oh, God. So he would say no screamant, S C R E M T. You try to That's spell hilarious. excrement, but he couldn't. And so I was just in this situation, like, and like between that and I was like doing open mics, and like I was unemployed through a stretch of it. Right, I was in a really dark place, so I was a very dark person for a period there. But then I, 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 I just, you know, I snapped myself out of it for the most part. Like, yeah, fucking, man, yeah. Life is way too short to, like, like genuinely actually be bummed out. It's funny to joke about it because we do get – we all get bummed out. But, yeah. 
Like, don't let it affect you. Right. Also, that is funny. It <laughs> is. That one of your roommates would shit in there, and your other roommate would write. And we weren't even roommates, because it was three separate units. Right, um, so it's like a boarding house. It's like, yeah, and like, like there was a regular apartment <laughs> building, but on the basement floor, it was three units with one bathroom. Right. Now, now Scott, right. you've had, you're talking about being unemployed. I know you've had a number of interesting jobs. Oh, kind of go God. over your... Go over your career resume or, or kind of touch uh, on some of your interesting occupations. My first job ever was I was one of those dickheads at, a, at the mall with a clipboard that would ask you, like, to interview you about movie trailers and, <laughs> and crap like that. Uh-huh. And I was working for my – it was me and two of my best friends, and we were working for my grandma, so we couldn't get fired. So, like, we were just, like – we got, we got banned from the KB Toy Store in that, in that mall. Of course you did, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we would each hop on, like, a hippity hop. And put on a, a helmet of our choice, and then each pick an aisle, and then just tear down it, and like see how much stuff we can knock off the shelves, and before the, like the management kicked us out. Uh, we used to crank call the uh, like they have like one of those jewelry key, like the ear piercing kiosks uh-huh. in the middle of the mall, and we used to go to the paper right next to them and crank call them from there because oh, they had the phone number printed right there, and they would never know <laughs> that it was us just standing like thirty feet away from them doing it from right there, like staring at them. Uh, I was. Pizza delivery driver, like delivery driver for a deli. Uh, I was a termite guy. Termite guy. I was a termite pest inspector. Uh, I was a licensed pest inspector. Really? And now, how was that like, job? Actually, I didn't have my inspector's license. I had the uh, like the the like the pest Poison control license, some certification. Like, yeah. Uh, that yeah. was, you know what? That was kind of cool because, like, uh, when I would drive the pet truck, I, I booked all my own jobs. Like, I was kind of like my own manager for that because, like, it was a uh-huh. like a family friend's business, and like, kind of they trust me with everything. So, like, on the, the termite days, I'd be doing like wood replacement on houses and like doing like hard construction work, and that was tough. But once I moved on to the pest truck, it was fucking awesome because I basically I would just go around with this spray and water people's lawns and driveways. Yeah, right. and like that, and like occasionally I have to go in and do rat traps in someone's attic, and that sucked, but. For the most part, it was just doing these routine maintenance things. We, we had city contracts. So I would do, like, city buildings and stuff. And I actually did the, used to do the City of Commerce, like, all their buildings. And, like, there was this park there. It's, like, basically notorious as the hand job park. And so I used to, like, <laughs> sit there and watch, like, dudes get prostitutes in the parking lot while I was waiting <laughs> to spray the bathrooms in this oh, place. They, Interesting. I was a merchandiser. Now, what's oh. a merchandiser? Actually, you know, you explained it to me, but for the audience, what's a merchandiser? I would set up the displays in New Albertson stores, basically. And for, like, an entire year, I was going out to Vegas pretty much, like, three weeks out of the month. And they would put me up in the hotel, give me per diem, pay the mileage. And it was a pretty cool gig. I was making – I was working, like, 80 hours a week. I was making pretty good money. But, like, I, I want to say I lost, like, thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars $35,000 in gambling losses that year. Really? Like, it, it was – I was, like, 21, 22. It was just a lot of money living at home. And, like, I was on the road the entire time. So it was just, like, I was just – Pissing away money, but that's when I first started writing. Actually, I was like, when okay. I first started writing joke stuff because I'd be in these hotel rooms on these like coked out benders, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and then just like I'd start writing jokes down, and like I actually quit that job to become a stand up, and then I didn't do comedy for a year after that. And I, <laughs> and I, and I so opened, you quit the job uh, to start comedy. Well, I, 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 went to, I went to school for that year, so like, I wasn't completely wasteful. But like, yeah, and like I was like, well, so I'm gonna start comedy. I should take some classes and this, this, and this, and then I started taking writing classes, and I got into sketch. And then I, I thought – I honestly thought I could be a playwright. Like I thought I was going to be like Neil Simon. That's like when I was in writing class, I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to be like Neil Simon, man. I'm going to become a playwright. And I, I spent like four years trying to write a play. <laughs> and it was just a shitload of crappy dick jokes. So then I took them to open mics and here I am now. <laughs> so was there, was, there a, was there kind of a point that turned your life to, okay, comedy is what I'm going to focus on? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like uh, one of the points uh, – it was like it was really like when like, um, it's kind of weird to say, but like when I went on this cruise with my grandma uh-huh. to the Panama Canal, and then I was just stuck on there for like three weeks with her, and it was like all old people, and all I had was my notebook, and then I was like I had so many like I got thrown in an ambulance like looking for a prostitute there like there was like so many like wild moments that happened on that trip. Wow, I they had you couldn't really with, share it with. Them all with your grandparents, no, no, no. People on the boat, and like my, uh, like the bartenders on this ship, they would, they had a pool going up on how, what number of beers I would hit each night at that bar. Oh, really? And like one guy was like, "Dude, you hit twenty-seven on the nose tonight," <laughs> and I had, I had twenty-seven. I won the pool. Like, I'll, I'll buy you your beers tomorrow. Like, nice. That's how, like, because it was a three-week cruise. So like, they were just, 
it was just this insane three week drinking binge I went on with like, and then in the mornings I have to wake up all hungover and take my grandma to like a, like a Guatemalan like fun park, like an animal park. <laughs> Guatemalan. But like when park. I got back from that, I was like, God, I have to start doing comedy. And then I started doing stand up three years after. Like it really, it took me like, cause like I had such respect for the craft. And I loved it so much. It was one of the things that entertained me so much growing up. I didn't want to sh- shit on it. Like, yeah. I didn't want to go up there and, and do something that I thought wasn't like <laughs> wasn't funny. good. Yeah. Were you shocked at how many people did do that once you actually? Joined yeah. No. Then I got there. I was like, dude, I should have been doing this like when I was seventeen. <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck! Like, I was funnier than these guys then. Like, why didn't I yeah. do that? Yeah. But I'm I, honestly, I'm glad I did it the way I did it because I, I think it gave me a perspective that people that started younger maybe might not have because they've been surrounded by it so long. That's and since true. I didn't like immerse myself in it at such a young age. Yeah. You've like, had I'll, a number of interesting jobs. Yeah. And interesting like, life experiences. I'm 32 now. And I really feel like I'm still like actually enthusiastic about it. And that's yeah. rare to You're young it. at heart. Yeah. I remember when you were taking a road trip down to San Diego to do some comedy, you just out of nowhere, you're just like, how am I 32? <laughs> you just started laughing for a while to yourself. And I, I found it funny as well. I was like, yeah, how is Scott 32? Yeah, it's true, man. <laughs> it's definitely young at heart. I, I, I never really aged past 14 for the most part. I'm, right. I'm still pretty much the same person I was when I was a 14-year-old. Now, what do you think? where do you think that arrested development comes from? Anything in particular? The way you're raised or just your uh, you know, free like, spirit? Well, like, I think it comes back to, like, my dad actually had his, like, heart attack basically at work and pretty much, di- like, died at work for the most part. And yeah. he hated his job with such intense passion where I always told myself, I'm never going to put myself in that position. Right. Wow. I would rather be poor and do what I love than have stability and, and like, and die at something I hate. Like, you know, like, that, like, affected me so profoundly. Like... Sounds like you got the soul of an artist, Scott. <laughs> I like that. Now, did you um, – let's mix things up, do a little current event news here. Did you hear about this uh, Zach Randolph story? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, Zach Randolph, he's a professional basketball player. Plays for the, the Knicks right now, right? Uh, he's on the Grizzlies. Grizzlies. Okay, Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah. He used to play for Portland, and there's a news story about uh, some shenanigans up in Portland at his house. Only on 8 tonight, the man who claims he was beaten at former Portland Trailblazer Zach Randolph's West Lynn home tells News Channel 8 it was a drug deal gone bad. <laughs> News Channel 8's Kyle Aboshi is live outside Randolph's home with more of that interview and the search for Randolph. Kyle? Wayne, no sign of the NBA All-Star and no answer at his gate. Police note Zach Randolph is not a suspect in the alleged assault, but his friends are. The scene of the crime, Zach Randolph's million-dollar Westland home. Police raided the former Portland Trailblazers' property after a man claimed he was assaulted by a group of Randolph's friends. My face was just covered up in blood. My clothes was covered up in blood. The alleged attack occurred early Saturday morning. James Beasley says he offered to sell Randolph some marijuana for $200. He got upset about the price. He thought the price was too high. Beasley says he tried to leave the party when Randolph got aggressive. He snatched the weed out of my hand, like, like, like aggressively, like. <laughs> like, like aggressively. You know, he snatched it like basically like saying, I'm taking your weed. Then Beasley says seven or eight of Randolph's friends assaulted him. Yeah, they hit me upside the head, split my eye open with a pool stick. Burnout. So this, this Burnout guy, corner pocket. Oh. <laughs> this guy didn't get in trouble for turning himself I know. You know drugs. You know he must have got his ass kicked if he goes to the cops. What are you there for? Uh, he could have said, like, I'm doing maintenance on the pool table. Uh, <laughs> and wait, he goes, yeah. yeah, of course I was selling the weed. And he in- includes also the part about how he snatched it out, like, I'm going to take well, this weed. He's going to steal it. Yeah, like, it's an honest trade or something. Yeah. I've, I've heard of that before of a couple guys, like, that, like, that you're growing up, like, got robbed for their weed and called the cops. Like, yeah, dude. yeah. No, you hear this on the news all the time. Dude, and it's like, you got to be effing <laughs> shitting me, man. Like, oh, oh there's, a, there's a little bit more here at the end. That's oh, awesome. God, this is good. Investigators say they've recovered evidence, including blood and pool cues. Police don't think Zach Randolph took part in the assault. At Randolph's home, several vehicles came and went. Can we talk to you about the police raid? <laughs> but no That's sign awesome. of the former blazer. Yeah, it's of, so great. Of course the entourage is like, 
Of course our meal ticket wasn't involved in the beating. He, he was probably like the oh, ringleader no with the pool, pool cue. Like, um, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? I, the guy claims that Zach Randolph took the weed out of his hand. But also this guy probably realizes he's just gearing up for a civil case against Zach yeah. Randolph. Yeah, that's – I mean, he's, he's laying the ground. Like, look, it's like the – It's like one way or another I'm going to get money out of Zach Randolph, whether it's ripping him off on shitty pot deals or – I mean, I'd, I'd rather be a pot dealer getting popped with a pool cue by Zach Randolph's buddies than a limo driver getting blasted by Jason Williams with a shotgun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is um, what Scott's referring to is Jason Williams, former New Jersey Net, had a huge estate, and I think it was in New Jersey as well. Super wealthy guy. He got one of these like big contracts, at the you know, kind of right contract at the right time. And he loved guns. Like, there's an MTV Cribs where he's, like, he's driving around on his land. He's, like, throwing clay pigeons, firing off guns. And then next thing you know, there's a story about him blowing his head off of his limo driver. And there's – I don't even think he – I don't remember. It's kind of funny. It's, like, ten years later. All of this. It's not even funny. what you would warn about. You would warn about an accidental shooting, and he just blows the brains out of his Well, driver. yeah, I think he claimed it was – Supposedly what happened, or according to him, was that it was an accident, and then he decided to cover it up. So they tried to charge him for murder. Then I think they realized he didn't have any vendetta for murder. I think they got him on, like, obstruction of justice. Yeah, obstruction of justice. And then, like, and then he, he definitely got hit hard in the civil trial on that one. Like, oh, he got, yeah, I'm he got, sure. He got hit super hard on that one. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you blow a limo driver's head <laughs> off. You're going to – there's going to be a tab there. Yeah. <laughs> That you might as well he, honestly instead of blowing a limo driver's head off and like pissing away like the ten twenty million dollars probably he had to spend at that yeah, contract exactly. to do it he probably should have just tipped the limo driver two hundred grand that night and everybody would have been really happy yep never would have heard from him again all right so now there was a there was an earthquake on the east coast that was uh, big news yeah. five point eight people on the east coast were freaking out felt it from Canada to Atlanta right yep. And I know everyone's thinking, oh, is this seismic activity? What is the, what is the cause of this <laughs> rare East Coast earthquake? And I was surfing on YouTube, and I found it. This is a, uh, this is a rabbi explaining why there, there was an uh, East Coast earthquake. There's a direct connection between earthquakes and homosexuality. There was in Haiti. Haiti was attached to the Dominican Republic on one island. Haiti, Haiti suffered far, far more than the Dominican Republic. <laughs> the difference in statistics with eight with uh, with practices of homosexuality and per capita eight statistics, and then earlier today we had the earthquake that went across the eastern seaboard, cracks in the Washington Monument, broken spires on the National Cathedral, and still many people scoff and ignore. Zero deaths. <laughs> zero deaths. Yeah, zero deaths, like handful of minor injuries or whatever. Like, they said the same thing about New Orleans, but the debaucherous area of town was like the only part that wasn't affected was it by well, the flood. In New Orleans, <laughs> people died. I mean, that's a great yeah, point. That, right. There were cracks in the monument. <laughs> like, okay, oh. is that God's wrath? Oh, I'm going to crack your monument. This oh, is God. Look, look at you. Like, that's really, like watching those New York City like office buildings get evacuated over. It's like these people are such pussies. They yeah. had like, no idea what was like, going on. Really? In those like, come on, come on, dude! Like you guys, you guys made it through nine eleven, and you're gonna let a little earthquake freak you out? Right. Come it was on. it was a five point eight. Everyone was safe. But to tie it into homosexuality, wait till the big one hits in California. Yeah. Then you play the homosexual then, yeah, card. Yeah, dude, don't like that's <laughs> yeah. like that's like playing your hand way too soon. Like as a poker player, I would never like. I would right, never, that's like, a guy going, he, or just goes, uh, you don't want to go in this hand. I have aces. No, seriously, I have aces. No, you can't just say that. And basically, the 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 facts are calling you out. And that if God was really that angry, he would totally screw things up. We've we've seen him smite people before. Okay, he would smite them hardcore if he was that angry. Yeah, he would. He would tear down. Uh, like the, I don't know. The thing about it too is like. It was fell all the way up to New England. It's like, yeah, like big earthquakes in San Francisco register down here, and that's it's like a, it's a lamp rattling. Yes. It's like no, like earthquakes really aren't a big deal. It's like, and the big ones obviously in like third world countries where they're not like the infrastructure is not ready for it. Those are horrible, yeah. right? But like, like really, like if a, a huge quake can hit L.A. today. Well, and, and it makes and sense. It, I mean, it Haiti, we would be okay. 
Yeah, it's like, a lot less of a big deal than a hurricane or yeah. a really bad tornado for sure. And it makes sense. His point about Haiti makes sense. Haiti is on the forefront of homosexual rights. I mean, you just see <laughs> they are a totally accepting society. Things are the first thing I think of when I think of Haiti. And things have been going such Haiti's way to begin with. Isn't that, there a yeah. flag of rainbow in Haiti? <laughs> I'm sure. See, uh, yeah, it's the West Hollywood <laughs> of Caribbean countries. <laughs> Oh man! Well, time flew, Scott. I want to uh, I want to appreciate I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed uh, having you on here, man. Thanks for having me, guys. This was so much fun. Like, time flew by. We did an hour like nothing. I'll be a guest on uh, Scott's podcast. Um, stay tuned as uh, when that'll be coming out. But we're going to be taping it here in a couple days. Looking forward to yeah, that. Three good times. Okay, so now uh, where can people get more Scott Bowser if they're so? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Bowser, and I hate having to use the underscore because some some dude signed up for Scott ba- out Scott Bowser like a week before I signed up for Twitter. So uh, if I would have spent like two weeks ahead, I, I would have it. And then the guy like he follows like only sixteen accounts. I think he's tweeted like three times. It's just him like retweeting Fred Durst. So it's really <laughs> aggravating to me. So oh, so make sure you throw the underscore in because that's me, the comedian. Also check out redvelvetcomedy.com, a new pet project that I have with my friend Alex Mesrovian. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Yep, it's a stand-up show and uh, from a stand-up guy. Logan, you want to wrap things up with the haiku here? Let's do it. Coke down. I like it. Well played, Logan. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Green Room. We do it live here every week exclusively on 247comedy.com. This has been the Green Room. Comedy.com to subscribe to the podcast today. Follow the show on Twitter at Green Room Show and check out my movie on Hulu, The Comedy Garage. What do you see? Don't walk by, don't